two, three, break. Down the middle of the field, it is caught. Loose football. Who's got it? Down at the one-yard line. How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. And here with me to break down the Week 6 action of the Alliance of American Football is our resident AAF expert, Ian Harditz, the Director of the Fantasy Labs NFL Platform and an Action Network analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHarditz. Also use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Ian, there is a free agency frenzy happening right now in the NFL. We talked about it on the last episode. You have articles on the Action Network analyzing the big moves this week. I have some pieces looking at the 2019 prop market for a lot of the players in new situations. We will definitely talk about all of that and more in future episodes. But right now, we're here to talk about the Alliance. How is it going? It's been uh, one of the busier weeks in March that I can remember in recent memory. But when it's when it's all centered on football, man, you can never complain too much. So I'm ready to I'm ready to get back and to watch uh, analyzing something that's at least happening within the next week. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that we are so busy in March and we are doing nothing. I mean, I <laughs> me, you and I doing nothing with March Madness, you know. So like, there's everyone else in the company is focused on basketball as they should be. But sure, uh, sure. you and I, we uh, have been able to carve out this little niche where uh, <laughs> we still have the ability to talk about football. So that's, that's pretty nice. Let's jump into it. Week five marks the halfway point of the regular season for the Alliance. And so I think it's a good opportunity for us to kind of look back at some of the, uh, the odds to open the season, odds to win the championship, some of the win totals, and just what we thought about some of these teams to start the season and what uh, our estimation is of those teams now. So let's start at the top, the Arizona Hotshots. Uh, they opened the season with a league-high six-and-a-half win total, which already looks as if it is uh, imperiled. And then they were uh, favored at plus 250 odds to win the championship. Currently, that number is at 500. What are your thoughts on the hot shots here? I mean, we kind of faded them at the beginning of the year just because it was like, how could we have this much of a prohibitive favorite in a league right. that we knew nothing about? But after two weeks, it looked like they were the real deal. I mean, with their offense, it was moving at a much faster pace than everyone, just passing game with John Walford, really just hitting on all cylinders first two weeks. But yeah, they've hit a skid uh, recently and just really not don't look like that same uh, team at all. And I know their odds are still plus 500, which I guess is the second best in the league, but I don't think they played like the second best team in the league, uh, you know, since uh, really those first two weeks. So uh, we'll see if they can turn around. Uh, I mean, Walford's still been, I know last week he had those three interceptions, still managed to lead a pretty close second half comeback. So, I mean, I don't think they're among the worst teams in the league, but definitely trending in the wrong direction. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and to give an outline of what my thoughts were, what my strategy was in terms of betting at the beginning of the season, we looked at the win total market and you were right on when it came to fading the hot shots and investing in the Birmingham iron. 
all of the other teams had win totals that were, you know, kind of like right in the middle of around like four to six. And it just didn't seem like it was worth investing there. I believe we both took under six and a half for the hot shots and over three and a half for the Birmingham iron. It looks like both of those have a very strong chance of hitting as long as the iron don't lose every game for the rest of the season. And as long as the hot shots don't win every game for the rest of the season, both of those are going to hit. And then in terms of betting, to win the title. I wasn't going to take hot shots. You convinced me on that. And I think you were right. There shouldn't be any team in a league this unknown. That's a prohibited favorite. I definitely wasn't going to bet on the Atlanta legends. Uh, They were at plus 500 because of the situations with their head coach and with uh, Mike Vick as the, you know, non-offensive coordinator. And I definitely wasn't going to bet on the Memphis Express, which opened the season with Christian Hackenberg as their quarterback. Other than that, I took positions, shopped around to try to find the, the best spots in the market that I could. And one of those teams, the Salt Lake Stallions, which we were relatively high on, that really hasn't worked out too well in terms of record. They're one and four. They were plus 400. I got them at plus 500. They had a four and a half uh, win total mark. Currently, they are 2,500. They have been better than their record, I would maintain, but they just haven't been able to get wins. Uh, what are your thoughts on this team? Yeah, I think you said it. I mean, they, they lost Josh Woodrum, their starting quarterback, after the first half of a football they played and they didn't get them back to week three. So I think that was kind of a tough uh, spot for them to recover, but it was just a situation where based on what we knew from like NFL preseason stats and kind of college performance, it did look like Woodrum had a realistic chance to be the best quarterback in the league that hasn't panned out. I mean, Garrett Gobert and uh, Orlando have easily taken that uh, honor all season, but uh, just one of those things where their odds were high enough. And with, uh, I think another point we had with them was just so many uh, Utah kind of esque players were around them. It seemed like a team that could really get the community rallying behind them. Maybe we didn't uh, give enough credit to the fact that Florida, you know, is pumping out NFL Cobra athletes more than the other States. So a couple of regrets there, but overall, I mean, I still think, like you said, they're playing better than their record and they are in the worst uh they're in the lesser division that doesn't include Orlando. So still have an outside shot of maybe sneaking in, but uh, definitely not looking good. All right. Well, at the top of that conference, the Western Conference, we have the San Antonio Commanders at three and two. But man, this is not a team that looks like they should be three and two. Uh, they they opened the season plus 500 with a five and a half win total. Despite being three and two, they are now plus 700. And they have a negative 14 point differential on the season. So really something of, of a pretender here. But what are your thoughts on them? Yeah, you said it, man. I think they're big-time pretenders. Logan Woodside finally had a good game last week. I mean, it was it was so bad. He didn't have a quarterback rating above 70 in weeks one through four, and he went all the way up to 120 last week. So cannot, like, overstate how much of an outlier game that was. And then the defense got all these turnovers in the first half, but San Antonio lost that second half 25-3 to uh, in that win they had last week. So I really think it was more of a fluky Uh, first half than anything because the rest of the season their defense ranks dead last in both yards allowed per pass attempt and yards allowed per rush attempt so I think it's still the league's worst defense that they do have a good pass rush that's allowed them to create some of these turnovers so I don't think it's super random I mean they have done some things well but I mean overall just on a per play basis they've been the worst and I think uh, they've been on the right side of some variance to start the year but I don't really see their luck continuing. Mm Mm-hmm. The Orlando Apollos, the undefeated Orlando Apollos, I should say, opened the season at plus 500 uh, with a win total of six. I've seen them in the market recently at even money to win the championship, which uh, 
on the one hand, I totally understand because they do look like the best team. On the other hand, I mean, anything could happen. And, you know, there, there are some other teams that you could see potentially winning a game against them in the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully everyone was able to get them at plus 500. Ian, what are your thoughts on this team? Yeah, I agree. Even money is a little bit of a stretch to bet on right now. I did see them at plus 250 across some books. Now, I'd still be willing to lay that amount, yeah. I think, because they do seem like by far just the best team specifically on offense, but also this secondary is super legit with uh, Keith Reeser, Marquez White, with Darius Gunther, a lot of these ex-NFL guys that have come in and uh, played really well. And uh, maybe part of that's getting to practice against the best passing offense in the league every single day of the week. So throwing the ball and being able to stop the pass are kind of the two biggest things these days. And Orlando does both those things, arguably better than anyone else in the league. So 5-0, and we really haven't seen anyone slow down the offense for the most part, and uh, they're moving. All right, up next, the Atlanta Legends at two and three, in which I should say, I think they are lucky to be two and three even. Um, they, they open the season at plus 500 uh, with a, a win total of four. Uh, currently, they are plus 2,500 to win the championship, which uh, it is definitely not going to happen. They have scored a league low 67 points and allowed a league high 123 points for a, deferen- a differential of uh, minus 56. I, I mean, it's hard to believe that a team with a, a differential like that across only five games has somehow found a way to win two games. But, uh, I mean, here we are. The, the Atlanta legends, uh, what do you have to say? Well, the answer is easy. Aaron Murray. And I'll tell you what, he looks like one of the better quarterbacks so far these last two weeks that they've been 2-0 with him. With that said, I mean, if Mettenberger doesn't throw a late game pick last week, Atlanta easily could have lost that game. They could have been one and four. So, I mean, I, I get it. The point differential definitely paints them as a worse team. I think they have been that for most of the season. But, I mean, it's tough to overstate how good Murray looks out there. He's taking a lot of chances downfield, but he looks accurate, and he looks a lot like the guy that should have been starting from week one. And we've seen that now with Memphis, Atlanta, and it looks like Birmingham. Uh, this coming week where a quarterback uh, switch could change the tides of the season. I agree that their, uh, I don't think their defense has really been good enough all season to uh, warrant a championship push here at the end of the year. But at the very least, I mean, even if, even if you want to call Atlanta the worst team in the league, and I won't disagree with you, they're much more competitive than they were three weeks ago when they were also the worst team in the league. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's totally fair. And, and good point about Aaron Murray. And I think it speaks to the fact that not even in this league, but in the NFL and other leagues, it is just hard, I think, for even people who know the quarterback position to scout the quarterback position and to be able to tell which guys will perform the best on game day within their particular system it's just it's really hard to do and you know I I think by the numbers I would have expected that Murray should be the guy who was starting he was a pretty solid player in college Um, it just didn't work out for him in the NFL there were size concerns he had an injury but um, yeah I guess I should say it's not a surprise given what he did in college that he is taking advantage of the opportunity he is he has gotten now but it, it is weird that he wasn't the guy to start the season to begin with <sighs> let's talk about the san diego fleet three and two at this point i would say i, I mean the, the hot shots it's hard to know exactly what's happening with them but the fleet uh they look like they might be the best team in the western conference they opened the season at plus a thousand to win the championship four and a half win total they uh have now catapulted to plus 550 to win the championship so now looking like one of the top you know three or four teams in the league what are your thoughts here it seems like they're finally catching up and learning Mike Martz's system a little better which 
we have confirmed is what he was running with the Rams back in the late nineties. I mean, right. I, li- I literally heard him in an interview say that, Oh yeah, that play, you know, I've been running that since 1998. It's been great. And Hey, it's been working the last few weeks. So good for them. But uh, the big thing this last week was they proved that they can still win without Philip Nelson. Cause they started the year with Mike Berkovici at quarterback. We all saw his helmet get knocked into yesterday, uh, that week one game. And then they brought in Philip Nelson. He played really well uh, these next few weeks, but he fractured his collarbone. Berkovici came in last week, and really the game of the year was a San Diego uh, Salt Lake game so far that Berkovici, he only completed, I think it was 52% of his passes, but consistently threw downfield enough. He ended up clearing over 300 yards, and he, the guy's got a live arm, and he can make some plays. So we've seen them have I – mean, it's been a tough couple of weeks for Jaquan Gardner, but overall I think we can say they do have one of the league's better rushing offenses. Maybe Bishop Sankey, your boy can uh, keep keep that going and get that uh, improving a little bit better in the upcoming weeks. But, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think they're uh, – I, I think it's fine to call them the favorites in their uh, division. Yeah. The Memphis Express, the one and four Memphis Express, no longer led, by the way, uh, by Christian Hackenberg. They opened the season at plus 1,000 with a win total of five. They are now 7,500 to win the championship, last in the league, uh, dead last. Ian, thoughts on this team? Pretty much the same thing I said about Atlanta. Like, they're not good. Their defense isn't great. I'm not impressed by their offensive system at all. With that said, Mettenberger is playing well enough to keep him in these games. I wish he had more of a chance to do that earlier in the game. Maybe they could start winning some because Mettenberger nor Hackenberger, <laughs> Hackenberg, has, a thrown even, has thrown more than 25 passes in a game this year. Like, Mike Singletary is just so adamant on pounding Zach Stacy in the eight-man boxes all game. And – it's not working, but they're keeping these games close. Like, look, they got blown out in week one with Hackenberg. But after that, they lost by two to Arizona in week two. They lost by four to Orlando in week three. Lost by, they beat San Diego by three in week four. And they only lost by three to Atlanta last week. So all these games are close. I mean, none of those games were decided by more than four points. So Mettenberg's, a, you know, Mettenberger, oh, my gosh, I'm getting these guys confused. Uh, it's good enough to kind of keep them in these games, even if he's not allowed to take control of the offense yet. Defense has been, you know, kind of on and off all year. But, again, they're good enough to at least keep these games competitive. Okay, so between – and I think it probably is between these teams, the Legends and the Express. I think those are the two worst teams in the league, although you might might disagree. But is is that your your sense of it right now, that these are the two worst teams? Yeah, I I agree. And I am proud to say in my preseason power rankings, I I did dub these guys as the number seven and number eight teams. Uh, That was assuming Matt Sims and Christian Hackenberg were the uh, quarterbacks. So that part's changed. But I think we've also seen the rest of these rosters aren't that great. And the coaching concerns we had about Singletary, you know, maybe not having the most advanced offense and Atlanta's aforementioned uh, pretty much half their coaches quitting before the season started. I I thought those causes uh, were, you know, worth a ton of concern. And that's that's played out. All right, finally, the Birmingham Iron uh, at three and two. They were plus a thousand uh, to open the season. And I actually found them at, at plus 1200 uh, at, at one book. Uh, so definitely grabbed that. Uh, the aforementioned win total of three and a half. They are currently at plus 500. I think they've surprised some people at least, um, but they haven't really been all that explosive on offense, only scoring 91 points this year. But they have the, you know, the uh, Iron Curtain of uh, 64 points allowed, a league low 64 points allowed. So that di- uh, differential of 27 points is one of the better marks in the league. What are your thoughts on the iron? Like, I, I think that if there is a team that is going to beat the Apollos, it might be the iron uh, in the playoffs. But I, I don't know if that is actually realistic or not. 
Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. And you said uh, they've allowed 64 points all year. And I mean, 31 of those came to Apollos last week. So they were incredible on defense weeks one through four. You know, Jamar Summers, that secondary, uh, still the best in the league when it comes to yards per attempt. They just got to be able to score the ball. I mean, Luis Perez did not throw a passing touchdown from weeks one to five. And freaking uh, Keith Price comes in last week and in a half, he ends up throwing a touchdown. So the offense looked much better at Price under center. And that, I think that's the way they can go up and beat Orlando because I think they do have a top two defense in the league by any metric you want to look at. And so as long as they can keep the, keep the ball moving on offense and just get some resemblance of a scoring attack, uh, they can get going. Because we found out that giving the ball to Trent Richardson 20 times a game right into the line is not an effective way of moving the ball. I think they have come to realize that we've seen his snap rate go from, you know, 70s, 80s to 50s, 60s last few weeks. And they've, uh, and they make some moves we'll mention a little bit later about, you know, replacing with Darius Perkins and guys like that. So I think they are moving in the right direction on offense. And like we said, the defense is already there. Yeah. It is interesting that, um, Richardson is actually a, I think a pretty good pass catching back. Like, and that's a skill that he displayed in college and uh, in the NFL, especially his first year with the Browns. But uh, yeah, I think it's weird that he is as good as he is as a receiver and as bad as he is as a runner. You typically like don't see that in in a guy of his size, but uh, any final kind of big picture takeaways from the first half of the season? Yeah, I just think, uh, you know, make sure you're paying attention to these rosters week in and week out because we have seen quarterback changes really change uh, the entire complexion of these teams. I mean, Memphis and Atlanta specifically, I know they, you know, we're still looking at two below 500 teams, but even just looking at their point differentials with their, uh, uh, with Mettenberg or, and uh, Aaron Murray in there, you know, they, I believe they actually have been much closer to positive, if not positive, with those guys under center. So, and then also, and I, I saw Evan Silva say this last week, and it was a good point. We just got to pretty much erase like weeks one, th- one and two, like from our mind at this point. We've yeah. had three more weeks of football since then. And I mean, that, I think that was something last week where I was uh, more on Arizona than maybe I should have been because I was letting the real early parts of the season influence uh, what we'd seen more recently. Yeah, that's fair. And I think it's even more so than what we would expect in the NFL. So like, for instance, in the NFL, if we were entering week six, like I think we should still give more weight to weeks one and two than we would in this league because uh, there's so much experimentation, like a decent chunk of, of the rosters have kind of rolled over in terms of like who's actually getting snaps and, and uh, re- relied on in different situations. Uh, I was mentioning to uh, one of our other editors, Katie Rich Creek, when we were doing our rankings that I feel like each week I have to relearn this league. You know, like I, you know, when we do, when we do the rankings, like I just kind of have to like go back in, look at the depth chart, look to see really what happened over the last week, over the past two weeks. Like n- nothing can be taken for granted in terms of usage or any of the players in this league. All right, let's uh, let's get into the week six preview, talking about the first game we have on Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern, the Memphis Express at the Salt Lake Stallions. The Stallions are favored by eight and a half. We have an over-under right now of 40. Ian, uh, any injury news and notes? couple for each team. Uh, Memphis, arguably the number one receiver, Dantes Bird, was a DMP Wednesday. So we'll keep an eye on that. Could open up some value in a fan ball if he ends up not being able to play. And now on the Salt Lake side of the ball, Matt Asiata, RIP. He got placed on IR. Uh, Kalen Clay as well. So uh, got some potential opportunity for new running backs. Terry Swanson and blast from the past, Teron Ward, uh, new AAF member. So that'll be fun to see. But I think in the immediate, uh, you know, 
this weekend, looking ahead, uh, we could look to target the Salt Lake uh, rushing attack without Asiata in there because I'd assume Swanson and Ward, if they do suit up, won't be, be in there for you now a large percentage of snaps. All right, key matchups. The Memphis offense against the, uh, the defense for Salt Lake. Yes, I mentioned this before. I mean, Memphis has been throwing the ball well as long as Mettenberger's been under center. He has the second highest yards per attempt rate in the league behind Gilbert, but they don't let him throw. He hasn't gone over 25 passes yet this season. So they're really content to just give Stacy the ball as much as possible. He's only one of four backs, averaging over 15 combined carries and targets per game. But now they're facing this Stallions run defense that's been pretty much the best run D all year. They're first in yards allowed per carry, first in yards allowed per game. PFF's best overall run defense. They're legit. So I'm kind of confused with how to approach this one because I would like to think that Mike Singletary and these guys will see that this is a problem and choose to pass the ball more with Mettenberger, but I'm also worried we're just going to see them running yeah. the ball straight in the line. No, I would expect <laughs> for us not to see anything uh, out of the ordinary from Mike Singletary. I think he's a creature of habit as a coach, and I think you know when you have a talent, uh, such a high-end talent like Zach Stacy, uh, you just have to commit. <laughs> <laughs> giving him the ball as many times as possible. Oh my uh, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect for us to see anything different than what we have seen previously out of this offense. But let's look at the other offense, uh, Salt Lake going against the Memphis defense. Yeah, so I've been trying to figure out this kind of how good the Salt Lake offense is all season. We haven't seen many explosive plays, but again, you know, they were on and off without Woodrum for the first few weeks. But now we've seen them for a few weeks. And, and so this, this last game, again, shootout, uh, pretty much Salt Lake, San Diego, big comebacks for both teams. He set season high marks in attempts with 48, yards with 380, and yards per attempt with 7.9, also through three picks and, you know, had his fair share of turnovers. So, I'm not sure if they're shifting towards a pass-first offense because their starter, starting running back, Brandon Oliver, is done for the season, or if it was just more of a game flow thing because they were playing from behind. So that'll be something to keep an eye on in the future because right now, DeMornay Pearson now is like the Jarvis Landry slot receiver that's just getting 10 targets per game on all these high percentage underneath routes. And it's been great to see. And like Woodrum has consistently had the quickest release time all season and all Pearson L is really running is like, you know, these quick hidden uh, routes from the slot. So it's really a match made in heaven as far as fantasy. And you know, we saw, I think uh, Pearson L caught like eight of nine targets for 130 yards last week after he had that big, uh, price decrease so i think continuing to uh play into personnel with his passing game is going to help out because at this point with brandon oliver also out he's really their only proven guy in the offense all right and then uh terrell newby is a, another guy to uh to pay attention to and i can't even remember how to pronounce his name cynthia freeland on the last show was it buognan uh Bo- jo- joel boagnon yeah we gotta come up with a nickname for him to make that easier Jay yeah. Boogie. Jay Boogie. That's, That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Jay Boogie is good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway, you are leaning on this game here. Yeah. Like Memphis plus eight and a half. I mean, I, I wouldn't touch the money line, but I just think this is way too high for pretty much anything to be favored by eight and a half. If you're not Orlando, I think it's just a little bit absurd. And, you know, uh, Sean Corner, the odds maker, had his projected spread at five and a half to start the week. And I agree with him there. So I, I just think it's too high. Mentioned before, uh, last four games. Memphis has played I've all been decided within four points so I think uh, even if they're not really good enough to win some of these games they're good enough to keep them close yeah it's interesting that I think the Stallions are better than their record and I don't think the Express are really all that good but at the same time I don't I don't know if uh, eight and a half points really separates these two teams so uh, I'm with you there on the um on Memphis. And I should say in terms of over-unders, 
I'm just I'm done trying to <laughs> try to figure out <laughs> figure out which way I should be be leaning on these. Um, yeah, let's go to the next game here. We have the uh, Arizona Hotshots at the Orlando Apollos on Saturday at 8 p.m. The Apollos favored by nine uh, with a 43.5 over under, which at this point is a pretty high mark for a game total for the league. Any injury news and notes? Yeah, real quick, I'm with you on trying to figure out these over-unders, man. It's been so hard. I feel like we flip-flopped a couple times. I'm like, all right, time to pound all the overs. Now time to pound all the unders. I was happy to hit the uh, over on the Birmingham-Orlando game last week when it was like 34 or something like that. But, yeah, I think especially this week, I'm just staying away from all these. So, all right, quick injuries with this one. Big relevant one for DFS is Arizona. Richard uh, Mulaney has had a knee injury, hasn't played since week two. But he was a full-time receiver the first two weeks of the season, played 42 snaps in week one, 58 in week two. And reportedly, he will be back this week uh, for the first time. So he's a stone-cold 3K on fan ball, pretty much a potential free square, especially because uh, Josh Huff got put on IR last week. So yeah. even, you know, it's almost a certainty that we're going to see Mulaney, Freddie Martino, and uh, Rashard Ross in three wide receiver sets. So definitely a situation to look for there. And then for Orlando, a few banged-up guys on defense. Mentioned before, their secondary is really loaded in uh, Ladarius Gunter and Marquez White. Uh, we're both limited in practice this week. So someone keep an eye on there, but I don't think any of these guys are at uh, super risk of missing the game. All right. When the season started, like after week one, we would have thought, okay, this is going to be such an awesome game where we have what we assumed to be the, the two best teams in the league, both high scoring offenses, not necessarily quite as exciting at this point as we maybe would have anticipated, but you still have an Arizona offense that, you know, potentially could put up some points going against Orlando's defense. Rashad Ross is a guy who just seems to do nothing but score touchdowns. What are your thoughts on the matchup here? Yeah, I think this game will tell us a lot about Arizona and if they can still kind of stop their stumble here and get back to that team we saw the first two weeks of the season or if they're just going to keep uh, struggling. Because, I mean, starting this year, remember, we thought it was going to be Trevor Knight at quarterback and uh, John Wolford kind of came out of nowhere, took the job. He's still been playing great. I mean, even last week, uh, he threw three picks in, I believe, the first half. Only two of them were his fault, but still. Uh, but after that, I mean, helped really lead Arizona back in that second half and got him within one score of winning that game. But it all goes through Rashad Ross. I mean, you said it. He's caught 24 of 33 targets this year for 401 yards and six touchdowns. Six touchdowns, nine incomplete targets. I mean, that is stupid efficient. He's always got a swaggy touchdown dance to end each one of them. So enjoy watching him play. But it just, I think he really, their offense runs through him and he's going to have to go through pretty much the best crop of corners in the league. I mean, each of Keith Reeser, Cody Riggs, Gunter, and DJ Olataye are top 12 cornerbacks by PFF. So they have more than enough bodies to throw at him to try to slow him down. And I think if, you know, Rashad Ross isn't able to get loose, it's going to be tough for the Arizona offense to do much because we have seen Orlando also boast a top four run defense in yards allowed per carry. So we need Wolford and Ross to, to look like that top one or two wide receiver quarterback combo that we saw at the start of the season. All right, let's look at the other side of this matchup. We have that high-powered Apollos offense going against the Arizona defense. And, uh, I mean, just last week, the Apollos really took it to the Birmingham Iron, which uh, I think up to this point we would have said uh, had the best defense in the league. I mean, we still might say they have the best defense in the league, but um, I mean, they, they really went at them. And it's, it was so impressive to the extent that uh, you have to ask yourself, like, can anyone stop them? They scored 149 points on the season. 
the second team after them is the San Diego Fleet with 111. So there's just this massive discrepancy between what they are able to do on offense and what any team to this point has uh, been able to show. What are your thoughts on this matchup here? Yeah, you said it, man. They're just in a different class right now. Charles Johnson, no one can cover this guy. And then if you do try to double him, you got guys like Renal Hall, Jalen Marshall, and Chris Thompson that are just continuously able to make these big plays with Garrett Gilbert just slinging it every single week. So, yeah, I mean, last week was supposed to be the potential kryptonite for him, the league's best secondary, and Jamar Summers and all those guys. But didn't even make a difference. And, you know, we saw Gary Gober and company just continue to tear him up. So the big thing for Orlando is that they also low-key have one of the league's more efficient uh, running games. I mean, we've seen Dearness Johnson, Devion Smith, even Akeem Hunt when he's been healthy. All these guys have been really effective. It hasn't been the easiest situation to get a grasp on in fantasy because they are rotating a good amount. But again and again and again, they're just being super efficient. So, I mean, I think last week they averaged 6.2 yards per carry. We're up over 180 rushing yards in addition to that explosive passing attack. So it's like pick your poison. And, you know, Steve Spurrier has also done a great job of just every single week you see one or two more wrinkles and just these trick plays that are really putting his guys in a position to succeed. So it's been a great effort top to bottom for that offense. Let's talk about which way you might be leaning for the game. Nine is a pretty steep number. There is, I believe, maybe an eight and a half out there somewhere, but uh, that's where we are around eight and a half or nine. I think I would probably lean to the Apollos, but it's not, it's not strong. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I was talking to earlier some guys, and this was the one line that I was like, probably it's best to stay away. If I, yeah. you know, gun to my head, I will take the Apollos minus nine because, again, we really haven't seen anyone uh, match them yet this season. So, you know, why stop bidding against that now but yeah i mean i'd say uh if you if you want to do anything with it maybe just throw the money line into a parlay because i think they'll win but i don't know if they'll do it by nine yeah i mean with this league it's interesting in that um so i think if you look at the nfl if you have a good quarterback your offense i mean just forget what we saw in the super bowl but your offense should be able to to do a lot against the opposing defense and then I think that's even more the case in this league because of the rules uh stipulating uh, how many rushers teams can send at the quarterback and so I think that is just a a really big edge when we're evaluating offenses against a defense even if a defense is good I think there's only so much good that they can do against a really great offense because they can't do a lot of creative things on their front. And so I think the inability to to bring pressure or, or to create, like to manufacture pressure uh, just puts more pressure on the secondary. And if you have a good aerial attack, it's just, it's hard to compete against that. Yeah, I actually heard, uh, I don't know if it was Spurrier, but someone was asking a coach about uh, why Birmingham's defense was so good. And the explanation was pretty much like most teams are only running two or three coverage schemes and Birmingham is running five. So, I mean, even if the defense is a little bit better than the rest of the league, it's, I think there's still levels. And we've seen so far that good offense does beat good defense. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, big picture, the hot shots have really underperformed expectations which uh, naturally makes me think of erectile dysfunction. There's nothing worse, I've heard, than disappointing with a flaccid showing when you are looking to impress with a muscular hotshot performance. Uh, if you have ever, during the heat of regular season action, found yourself falling short of your understandably strong and lofty expectations, you should check out Roman. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health, whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse. Guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. Same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show that 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. 
which is just a horrifying statistic. Guys, you uh, need to take better care of yourselves. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to get checked out by a doctor and treated online. Roman is a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door. With Roman, there are no waiting rooms, awkward face-to-face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. You can handle everything discreetly online. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com slash NFLPod, fill out a brief medical onboarding chat with the doctor, and get FDA-approved ED meds delivered to your door in unmarked packaging. Guys, go online and get checked out by the doctor. Tackle your problem with Roman. It's really easy, so take care of it. For a free online visit, go to GetRoman.com slash NFLPod. That is GetRoman.com slash NFLPod for a free online visit. GetRoman.com slash NFLPod. Okay, Ian, let's jump into the Sunday action. By the way, my dog is barking in the background because she's just so excited about these games we have on Sunday. Uh, At 4 p.m. Eastern, we have the San Antonio Commanders at the Atlanta Legends. The Legends are favored by one and a half, a 40.5 over under Ian. News and notes. I heard your dog bark when you said Atlanta, so I mean, we got to pound the legends one and a half at this point. But uh, yeah, so not not too much to look at either way. But uh, for San Antonio, Cole Hunt wasn't able to practice, and they got a defensive lineman, Joey Mambu, that uh, wasn't able to go as well. But the good news was that Kenneth Farah, who looked like he got a little banged up last week, isn't even listed on the injury report, so we're expecting him to be A-OK. And then for Atlanta, running back Lawrence Pittman couldn't practice with an ankle injury. That could be notable if he's out, could uh, free up some Snaps for Terry on Folson, get him over the 50% mark potentially. Also, wide receiver Urban Phillips and safety Ed Reynolds with a groin um, were limited at least. So they're looking like they're on track to play. I mean, full disclosure, this is a game I absolutely don't even care about. Like, I mean, it's not as if that's the case, but these two teams, like, they are really uninspiring. Uh, and I find it hard even to kind of think about which side of this I want to be on. But uh, let's start with the San Antonio offense against the Atlanta defense. What do you see? Yeah, I, I agree with your assessment about the game. I mean, I'm a little too high in Atlanta at this point, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, so San Antonio offense, I mentioned this before, but Woodside really just played by far the best game of his AAF career, at least, uh, in week five. Really what did not look good in weeks one through four. I was hoping they would make the switch to Marquise Williams. You know, he was really a dual-threat guy that could be fantasy-friendly for us, but he hasn't even played a snap since week three. So looks like Logan Woodside is cemented as the quarterback. And now he's got a solid ATL secondary. I mean, they've allowed the third fewest yards per attempt this season. You know, it's not been the most dominant. I would say there's definitely a teardrop off between Orlando and Birmingham and then going to Atlanta. But still, you know, they haven't been bad. The one thing to note on the offense, though, we uh, touched on this last week, is that uh, Kenneth Farrow does not control his backfield. I mean, he had, I think it was 30 carries in week four and really played like 70% snaps or something like that. But we saw uh, him only play 44% of snaps last week. Both Trey Williams and Aaron Green, hashtag free Aaron Green, back from the dead, uh, got in 28% snaps as well. So it's an offense that has a, you know, a running back by committee, a quarterback that I think is going to regress a little bit in this next week. But uh, we'll kind of see how it goes. I think uh, there is some fantasy potential here because one of the things I've been doing, you can check out this article on uh, Fantasy Labs, uh, just got posted. But I've been taking uh, each wide receiver and running backs, targets plus carries divided by their salary just to see, you know, who is maybe undervalued with the amount of opportunities they're getting. And Greg Ward, Mikhail McKay, and DeMarcus Ayers uh, were all top eight wide receivers in that metric. So I do think uh, continuing to target these San Antonio wide receivers could be helpful because based on their targets, they're still underpriced. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Green, really interesting from a talent perspective. And obviously, if uh, you can give the ball to a TCU running back, you kind of have to do it. 
but uh, we don't know if that's actually going to happen. Uh, let's look at the Atlanta offense versus the uh, San Antonio defense. What do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, we've been hyping up Aaron Murray. He's completed 62% of his passes this year for an efficient 7.1 yards per attempt. I mean, really, if you watched the game last week, a lot of these throws, you know, he's thrown down the middle, downfield, like in the tight windows. I mean, it's really been impressive to watch. And we got the San Antonio defense that's really – uh, I mean, they had a good first half against Arizona last week. But other than that, they haven't really slowed down anyone all year. I mean, again, they've allowed the most yards per carry and yards per attempt. Uh, been struggling to slow down anyone. The only problem here is that Atlanta has, like, the most just committees in every single spot of their roster pretty much in the league. Uh, Taron Folston had a nice little breakout game last week. The problem is his salary shot up on fan ball, and he still only played 46% of the offensive snaps. So we've seen a constant uh, running back by committee there. And then at wide receiver, it's been the same thing. I mean, there were seven wide receivers for Atlanta last week that played between 19 and 67% of the snaps. The only guy to go higher than that was the tight end, Keith Tobridge, who was at 83%. So it's really a mess trying to figure out uh, who to target there. But with Aaron Murray controlling it, it's at least been efficient. Yeah, and it, it's seriously, those timeshares, uh, they make ranking a massive headache. <laughs> um, you know, so it's it, like to the point where I just almost want to put all of them at the very bottom of the rankings and just be like, I don't even want to, I don't even want to think about this. Which way are you leaning for this game? I'm going with Atlanta minus one and a half. I think uh, we saw the very best version of San Antonio last week, and I'm just not convinced their defense is going to be able to come on the road here and uh, get the job done. Big point, though, this is San Antonio's fourth consecutive road game, which I believe you have the stat in the last time that happened in the NFL. But the point is, it's very rare. And, you know, again, I I think uh, in in an underwhelming game, Aaron Murray and the guys can get the job done. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like never happened in the NFL. We've seen very rarely uh, a team have to play three straight road games. It happened with the Patriots two years ago. Um, but it's just that's something that is so rare. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is a game I think I'm going to be staying away from. The line is pretty close. I feel as if I don't have a strong read on either team. If I had to kind of shoot from the hip, my gut would be to bet against the Legends just because I don't, I don't think that highly of them. But they are at home. They are playing against a team on a four-straight road game, and they do have a new quarterback. So, like, you add all that together, and I just I feel too uncertain, really, to take a position on this. Let's go to the last game of the weekend, 8 p.m. Sunday. We have the Birmingham Iron at the San Diego Fleet. The Fleet are favored by six. The over-under of 35.5. believe that's the low mark for the, uh, for the weekend in any injury news and notes? San Diego is pretty much healthy, except for uh, AJ Tarkley, their stud linebacker. Uh, he w- he was at least limited to start the week, so they could be getting him back. A uh, big note on Birmingham: I mentioned earlier how Arizona receiver Richard Mullaney is stone cold 3K. So is Birmingham receiver Amba Etta Tawau, who uh, we saw really start in week one. But I'm leaning towards Mullaney over uh, Amba at this point just because Mullaney was at least limited last week. I and mean, we have reports saying that he is trending towards playing. There's a good chance because this is a Sunday game at eight that we're not going to know till it's too late to really make a roster adjustment if Amba is going to end up playing. He was still only limited to start the week, but something to maybe keep an eye on to take advantage of next week. And then uh, also some roster moves here. Uh, Ladarius Perkins, who we saw was actually one of three running backs in the league that was averaging over three targets per game. He got waived for uh, Marshawn Koprich, who I'm going to be completely honest, I have no idea who that guy is. I'm not sure if he's ever the, popped up the on Cobra. Your the, the, the Cobra. The Cobra. Small school. <laughs> 
<laughs> small school, small school running back, actually pretty productive and, and a, a smaller guy, not very athletic, which, so it makes sense why he never really got a shot in the NFL, but uh, he's actually someone who could potentially make it work in, in the AAF. Hey, the Cobra, man. I, I support him now. I love how you had that nickname right there, Reddy. That's great. But, uh, yeah, he could even get a bigger shot than uh, maybe he thought at first because Brandon Ross, who's now their number two back, was limited with a groin injury. So I think the big takeaway from all this is that we could get at least one more week of the complete Trent Richardson show before uh, the Cobra is able to really instill his will. All right. And uh, on the other side of the ball, actually one thing, uh, Amba is someone who is actually kind of interesting to me. He was a guy at Maryland for a few seasons, never really did much, and then transferred to Syracuse uh, for his final year as a grad student and was just absolutely dominant uh, in the ACC in his final season. Had you know 1,400 yards, actually closer to 1,500 yards receiving and 14 receiving touchdowns and actually had a pretty decent physical profile. So like, I don't know why it never really worked out for him in the NFL or, you know, why he wasn't able to stick on a roster, whether it's like, he's just not a good route runner or, or something, but like just in terms of his final season production, in terms of his size and his physical profile, this looks like the type of guy who should be able to stick in the NFL or, or should get at least some sort of shot. And I just don't know if he's been able to do it, but because of those things, he's someone who actually really interests me for the Alliance. Like he feels like just kind of big picture, like the, the perfect type of player, who should be getting a shot in the Alliance so people can actually get some tape on him. They can see if he is worthy of an opportunity in the NFL. Definitely. I think, I think as soon as he's healthy, he'll get a chance to step back into some major snaps because other, I mean, after Quentin Patton, we've seen LaDamian Washington do some uh, nice things in recent weeks, but they've had to go to West Saxon, their tight end really to look for uh, some offense down the field. So if, if Amba can get healthy and show off some of that speed, uh, it'll be a much needed piece of the offense. All right, let's uh, look at the other side of that matchup. Yeah, so real quick, uh, so big thing on Birmingham, again, Keith Price took over for Luis Perez last week and played really well, guys. I mean, 8.1 yards per attempt, 62% uh, completion rate, and was actually able to move. I mean, Perez is just not a very fast guy, and he was also impacting his decision-making as well. And, you know, Price, you know, I look back at his college stats. He's not known for being a big-time runner. I don't think I wouldn't call him a dual threat, but he's at least good enough at getting outside the pocket, extending some plays, and, you know, taking chances downfield. So the big thing I'm paying attention to, head coach Tim Lewis after the game said, we'll continue to work the way we've been working, but with an added emphasis on he who moves it gets to stay in. I'm all about that. I'm all about when you have your opportunity. If it moves, you can stay at the helm, and I'm okay with that. Well, we have five games of evidence that Luis Perez cannot move the offense. So if that doesn't mean it's the Keith Price show, I don't know what it is. So I'm confident in taking a chance on Price as well, a DFS salary, even with a little bit of uncertainty there. But yeah, and so moving on to the San Diego offense, another quarterback change, Mike Bercovici has been back. Saw him last week. A lot of the same things with Price. I mean, he did a good job taking chances downfield, pretty accurate, even, a, even in a fairly tough matchup. But... He's got the toughest matchup this week now against his Birmingham secondary. Uh, keep mentioning Jamar Summers, but he's really emerged as, in my mind, the best cornerback in the league. Jack Tocho and all those safeties are pretty good as well. I'm not really blown away with any of these San Diego receivers other than Dantes Ford, who is the, you know, he made that really great catch uh, in double coverage in the game last week. But it's now a crowded backfield with uh, three pretty good running backs. So I think San Diego can move the ball. I'm just not super confident predicting who's going to get the yards. All right. Uh, in terms of a way that you might be leaning, uh, for me, I am all over Birmingham. Uh, I think this might be the most mispriced line of the week. And I should say, I also don't think the lines this week 
are as egregiously priced as the lines were last week. Um, but this one uh, still sticks out to me, and uh, I'm, I'm definitely on this one. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with both those points. I think the, uh, the Memphis line and this line are the two ones I feel best about. The, the two we talked yeah. about in the middle, not so much. But, yeah, I mean, plus six is just way too much. It's even, I mean, we're assuming Price gets a start. I don't know why he wouldn't. And with that in mind, it's just, again, Perez could not move this offense. And Price looked so good last week. Uh, I like his chances to do that. And I have been, I feel like, a little more pessimistic on San Diego over these past few weeks. And they have been playing better. Uh, able to run the ball and with Berkovici playing a little better, uh, make some more explosive plays than we're used to seeing. But yeah, six points is just too much for what, again, could be the second best team in the league. Yeah. Let's look at some strategy uh, from the fantasy perspective. Again, for a fan ball, you have a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and then three flexes. Uh, so there is, you know, like literally a lot of flexibility in terms of how you can construct your rosters. And for cash games, who are some players who have caught your eye? Yeah, so I'm I'm continuing with the lock-in Trent Richardson, Charles Johnson train. I know they keep getting more expensive, but I clearly just in terms of targets and carries, these are the guys that are getting more opportunity than anyone else. And then uh, moving on to the rest of the roster, Jarrell Presley, I think, is the must-play running back this week because his salary dropped by 1,600, even though yeah. he still played 56% of the offense's snaps. So uh, Tim Cook had more carries. We also saw Tim Cook have more carries in week two. I mean, when they get behind, it's like they're, they're more willing to put in Cook and uh, Justin Stockton, these guys, and give them more of a chance. But Presley's still been that guy. He's been that guy all season. Literally week four like was the week where Presley's volume finally came turned in production. I'm not going to shy away one bad week. That's exactly what we've seen happen already this year. So get in Presley. You know, he's the cheapest featured back pretty much. And again, one of only four backs this year with fi- at least 15 opportunities per game. And then uh, Richard Mullaney is probably the salary saver. You got to really consider, especially if we get for sure confirmation that he will play. I think uh, with that in mind, we can go get Price and maybe uh, stack him with Quentin Patton, who's another cheap wide receiver that has a really high opportunities uh, over the dollar score. Because look, he has 7.4 targets per game and Charles Johnson has eight. And those are the top two guys in the league. So I think, I mean, with this lineup, we can get Richardson, Presley, Johnson, and Patton who have real possibilities of being your kind of two most targeted receivers and your two running backs with the most opportunities. So if you can get that, why not for cash games? Yeah, Patton continues to be a guy that um, because of the opportunity, even if he hasn't been very productive, I'm still ranking him uh, pretty highly because they continue to target him. So that's just, I mean, the opportunity is always there. From the GPP perspective, who are the players you're interested in? Yeah, I think another guy we can say that about is Mikhail McKay. He uh, finally cashed in on some of that last week. Ended up only getting, I think, five targets because San Antonio was able to get ahead so quickly. But he's locked in as their number one receiver as well. And both Patton and McKay just are too cheap to be number one receivers. Uh, mentioned Amba uh, on Birmingham as well. But don't sleep on the Damian Washington. I mean, he actually comes out number four in that uh, salary over opportunity metric. I think this Birmingham pass game in general is being undervalued by the market. And we talked about their line too. Really, Birmingham has a team betting and fantasy is uh, someone you should target this week to try to take advantage of some of that value. And then just that running back. uh, Remember, I mean, these snaps are changing every single week. Uh, Only guys to play over half their team snaps last week were Richardson, Zach Stacey, uh, Jay Boogie, as we we affectionately call him now, (laughs) Uh, Darrell Presley and Dearness Johnson. Uh, with Orlando you need to keep an eye on Akeem Hunt because he was out last week for Orlando because of that Deonis Johnson uh, played 55% snaps and Devion Smith had like 
15 plus touches. So both those guys are real involved. Could be again if it came out. And the one wide receiver that really caught my attention that's uh, on the cheaper side is Kenny Bell because he, he's had now three straight games with at least five targets and at least three receptions. He hasn't like, I don't think he's even gone over 40 yards. He hasn't gotten loose yet, but that's still a ton of involvement. And he's one of only seven wide receivers that played at least 85% of uh, the offensive snaps in week five. And at 4,200, he's easily the cheapest because all those other guys are at least 5K. So anytime you can get a receiver that's barely leaving the field for 4,200, I think you got you to at least have some exposure to him. Yeah, and on the topic of Kenny Bell, one thing that's interesting, and so you touched on uh, his recent opportunities, uh, the targets he's seen in, in his past three games. I probably need to start paying a little more attention to what's happened recently. Uh, so in our rankings, for instance, uh, you have him 11th. I have him 17th. Sean Corner has him 18th. You're probably more accurate, I think, uh, on that ranking uh, than we are because of the, the opportunity. That's something I probably need to pay attention to a little more. So, like, I've been including in my uh, DFS article uh, kind of a model that includes both the targets per game as well as the snap count from last week. So I try to keep those two things in mind because, you know, you see a guy with higher targets but lower snaps, then it's I feel like that's not as good of a chance to keep going forward. Whereas you got a guy like Kenny Bell where he he has both a decent target share and a real high snap snap rate, that's what you got to look at. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird situation where I'm trying not to be too reactive to what has recently happened. And uh, I want to try to kind of like privilege the larger sample. But like things are so in flux that uh, it, it probably would be good for me to be a little more aggressive in, uh, in prioritizing what's happened last week, the last two weeks. Big picture thoughts on roster construction. Yeah, so just in general, I mean, again, a lot of these salaries are fluctuating a lot from week to week. So I think we want to try to avoid investing in the guys that have the big time price hikes. It's what we do in NFL. It's what we should do in AAF as well. So with that in mind, five wide receivers had a salary increase of at least $500. Mikhail McKay, Centavious Jones, DeMornay, Pearson L, Buck Howard, and Tobias Palmer. I'm not saying you need to fade all these guys, but just keep in mind, I mean, they're not nearly as valuable as they were last week. And Someone like Pearson L, where last week to me, he was a must play because of his uh, high targets and high snap rate. Now his salary is, you know, a little bit more reasonable. So I'm not going to feel as obligated to jam him into every lineup. And uh, looking ahead to running backs too, Terry and Folston, massive price increase. I think it's kind of a trap play considering how we've seen that Atlanta backfield uh, really have no resemblance of consistency week to week. So good on him for having that big game last week, but I'd like to see another week of him as the featured guy before thinking that'll move forward. Jay Boogie does seem like the featured guy moving forward. That's a little bit of a unique situation because Brandon Oliver got ruled out midweek. So that's a salary increase that's warranted and still might be a little low because of his uh, high role. And then Bishop Sankey, Deonis Johnson, Devion Smith. We talked about the Orlando guys already in terms of whether Akeem Hunt comes back or not. Bishop Sankey, he was just at the men last week and he still doesn't really have a role yet. So we'll see if he's able to take over for Jaquan Gardner eventually because, oh man, like, one week, Jaquan Gardner is almost a consensus best running back in the league. And I literally said in week three that I didn't think he was. And then I changed my mind. I think he's had like 20 total rushing yards since then. So just another example, we need to kind of keep in mind that, I guess, balancing the season long trends versus the recent trends. Because right now, Jaquan Gardner is on the way down and Sankey's moving up. But we'll see if that keeps going. 
All right. Yeah. Get on the Sankey train. I'm telling you, <laughs> there's, there's plenty of room <laughs> because no one wants him. Uh, all right. In our week six Alliance rankings are on the site. You and I contribute to those as well as Sean corner. And by the way, his weekly power rankings and projected lines are up on the site. What other Alliance content Ian, do you have coming out this week that we should check out at the action network and fantasy labs? Yeah, our uh, DFS breakdown got published as we were recording this. So that is also on the site. And then I'll have the uh, ultimate betting guide out by tomorrow morning or Friday morning. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL podcast. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe for Ian. I am Matthew Freeman, Matt of the Oracle. See you again next episode. <laughs>